the Supreme Secretary of the Rosicrucian Order Amarch, Arthur C. Piepenbrink. Although the subject of invisible masters is taken up in depth in the higher Rosicrucian studies, and a true understanding of it is reserved for students who have progressed to a point where they can deal with the abstract, still the subject is so widely discussed by others and is so widely distorted by the false claims of self-styled masters that it behooves us to give even the neophyte a brief introduction to the realities of this subject. The neophyte should understand that reading about this the first time and fully understanding it may still be years apart, depending on each person's individual preparation. The Rosicrucian order starts the student on a path whereon he is more and more dependent on himself and less dependent on his teachers for inner development. This is a step of great magnitude, not always appreciated by the student. Not everyone is willing to step out on his own. Not everyone is willing to abandon the crutches or supports that he has used to bring himself this far in his journey. Yet, self-reliance is the ultimate goal of all instruction, and self-reliance is what members in the degrees must pursue. Part of self-reliance is a dependence upon your own observation and experience. You are now encouraged to explore your own concepts and ideas. No longer are you tied to the views and opinions of your teachers, although their views should always serve you as a guide. Being free from father's shirt tails is not a call to abandon all the advice that he has ever given. It is a time rather not to rely exclusively on that advice, but to bring into play your own perspective and intelligence. This point in your life is somewhat like a rebirth. It is like standing on a new course, a study in formulating new concepts and new approaches to the many subjects that you have touched on so far in your journey. One of these subjects on which you are led by the hand, carefully and pictorially, is that of contact with the invisible masters. Guidance from the invisible masters is one of the great goals of mysticism and of mystical study. In the very earliest degrees, you are already being prepared for that day when you will be under the guidance and guardianship of the invisible masters. Our staff of instructors are here only to serve you to reach that goal. We are necessarily limited in the help we can give, in the personal attention that you need. We also are students on the path and rely as you must 
on more personal guidance and direction from the Invisible Masters. The Invisible Masters are unlimited in their scope of activity. They can be reached to serve you to the extent that your need and your desire to be served dictate. They can be as close to you as your sanctum, as close as your thoughts, and they can be of inestimable help in your development. They are a comfort to you in sorrow, a source of information when you seek answers, an inspiration when your spirits are low, a guide to progress and achievement in your personal affairs. To those members who have learned their lessons well and who have learned to deal with these masters has come the abundant life promised by the Rosicrucians. Abundant not only in physical sufficiency but abundant in love and spiritual matters as well. As you enter your Rosicrucian studies the mastery of this subject is your primary goal. During these several years, you should become accustomed to utilizing cosmic contacts for your continued growth and attainment. It is necessary that the subject of cosmic masters be at first approached from a very literal point of view. We do not want to make too rapid a departure from a purely mundane concept to a purely abstract subject. Therefore, the subject of the invisible masters is at first treated in much the same way as that of your visible teachers and masters. They are given names. They are described in visible terms. They are given form and dimension. Yet they have none of these. They are in actuality the pure essence of the cosmic, nameless, timeless, and formless. Regardless of their description, they serve the same function as personal guides to the aspiring student. The form we give them is only to help the student in his original exercises in making contact with these personalities. The form will gradually alter, eventually be stripped, and the student will know the master in the true and perfect state. Some might call this deception on the part of the teachings at this stage but it is not deception. It is rather a means of describing the undescribable, a means of bridging the known with the unknown. In this way we bring the wonder of the cosmic attunement more real, more permanent than that taught by any other school. There are elements of their study in which Rosicrucian students should take great pride. One is honesty, an openness in discussing what is taking place in a person's development without any attempt 
at Sutterfuge. We do not let our students harbor false hopes regarding their cosmic mission or cosmic powers. We do not make unrealistic claims regarding this all-important subject of mastership. We do not claim to have an inside track to the masters, nor are they exclusively the Rosicrucians' domain. We do not exalt the master's role beyond its real nature, and the Rosicrucian staff, including its officers, do not lay claim to any special status in the cosmic hierarchy. We are all students on the path together, all seeking, all in need of guidance, all part of the same cosmic element. A second element of the Rosicrucian study in which members should take pride is objectivity. Looking at a subject from all sides, analyzing it, breaking it down, trying to fit its pieces into a logical and reasonable pattern that can be demonstrated and proven. Sometimes members are apt to spurn objectivity. They feel it is too mundane, too lacking in sentiment and spiritual value. A fear of objectivity, however, and a retreat from objectivity is by far a more hazardous path for the student than that of being too objective. Being too objective can do little more than slow one's growth and attainment. A student who is so objective that he spends hours, days, or weeks on some point of discussion simply holds himself back from further exploration and discovery. It is better to keep on exploring and discovering without waiting to prove each point before going on, although never losing sight of the fact that proof is ultimately necessary and that discovery and judgments on those discoveries should be held in abeyance until proof is found. On the other hand, the student who spurns objectivity can find himself embarking on pathways that will take him far afield of reality and away from truth. He will find himself having to backtrack and start all over, again and again. Even the journeys lack luster, for they offer him nothing of any permanence or benefit. A lack of objectivity can be a backward progress rather than forward. It can destroy whatever has been gained before. There are many schools that do not attempt to test or question the directions they are giving, and as a result many students waste years in fruitless pursuit of an unrealistic goal. A third element of studies in which Rosicrucians should take pride is humility.
Humility is essential to attaining cosmic guidance, for the masters will only respond to the humble student. Humility is an admission of need, an admission of inadequacy or ignorance on a subject in question. Humility is an open mind, a true spirit of seeking, of wanting to know, and a readiness to act on the knowledge that is imparted. So often we appeal to the masters only when we are in trouble, and then we only ask to be relieved from our troubles, regardless of the fact that we caused them by some act of our own. We want the masters to bail us out, so to speak, when in reality we should ask them for guidance as to what right steps we should now take to alleviate or eliminate our problem and to prevent it from recurring. We must be ready to admit a failing and be ready to embark on a program of correction. What we must expect from the masters is guidance to help us help ourselves and not some miracle that will do the job for us while we sit idly by watching. This is what Rosicrucians learn about cosmic guidance. As the student begins to understand these elements of study and this approach to the subject of mastership, he can next contemplate the true essence and mechanics of cosmic contacts so that he is in a position to make such contacts easily and frequently in his continued growth. What a student must remember from the earliest degree are the lessons of time and space. In the cosmic sense, there is no time and space as we know it objectively. All things are. Everything is of the present. Everything is here. In cosmic contacts, a student does not have to travel in space or time, nor be concerned with separation of his psychic self from the physical. The key to cosmic contacts is attunement. If we can get home to you this one principle, we will have made your study more than worthwhile. In the earlier monographs, in order to make the subject understandable and easier to visualize, we do indeed talk about the soul personality or the consciousness traveling to some distant place while the body remains home at rest. Of course, members do often have the sensation or the real feeling of having left their bodies and looking down at them, but that is simply figurative and not literal. In the first place, in our psychic consciousness, we do not have eyes that look and see as we think of those things in the physical sense. 
none of our objective faculties are at work. Thus, when we see or hear or feel things during so-called soul travel, we are merely perceiving these phenomena in terms that are familiar to us. Even though in our psychic state the objective conditions of time and space do not exist, we perceive our experiences in relation to those factors. That is, we sense that we are traveling through space and we sense that we are spending a good deal of time doing it. In actuality, this is not the case. We are simply tuned in to another wavelength and there we have experiences that are interpreted in terms of the measurements we use in our normal wavelength experience. Speaking in terms of wavelengths and abstractions can become very confusing. So a few analogies at this point will be helpful. We have used the television principle as a helpful analogy at other times. In a televised experience, the experience we desire exists at any given moment as a particular wavelength of television frequencies. The experience we wish to contact may be the news, it may be an orchestration, or it may be a favorite comedy hour. If we wish to make a contact with a particular program or experience, we know that we simply tune in to that wavelength and presto, the experience is visual and audible as we translate the wavelengths in our consciousness. Please turn this cassette over for side two.